This is a Ward Scott Files advisory. The Ward Scott Files podcast may contain material not suited for people who are easily offended. Trust us on this. This show contains adult information and opinions. Please protect small children, sensitive pets, fragile houseplants, and liberal relatives. Thank you. Warthog. He's going to come up the steps. Here he comes. Oh my goodness, and he's huge. Hello, boy. I wonder if we can pet him. Hi, boy. Can we touch him? No, don't. Help me! Help! Help! Good morning, good morning. Professor Ward Scott here in the manly Warthog Man Cave inside the Melbourne Law Studio. 50 years of experience, full legal service, and a big player in community events here as well as crime prevention, which protects us 24-7, 365, cpss.net. And uh, take a look at our mug shots and see who you know there. Um, you never know. I look till you had your picture took, right? Well, just to give you a report on the storm here, which I'll be reporting on a little more depth uh, at the break. Um, we have been, up until about an hour ago, running on a generator, our backup generator. So we were on a generator here at the Warthog Command Center for about 16 hours uh, from about 2 o'clock yesterday afternoon all through the night till just about an hour ago. We hooked back up to um, the, the uh, Clay Electric Power Source. So, and it's uh, probably the longest we've been on a generator uh, for quite some time. The storm did come through here and cause some wind damage. We'll do storm cleanup around here, check our fence lines, and make sure that we are uh, somehow keeping the cattle from running away. Huh? You never know. So I'm going to look a little bit here now, see if I can find my current show so I can see what you all are doing. Uh, right now, I do not see it, but maybe I'll find it in a moment uh, so that I can see what you all see, um, so that I can see who's checking in. It's kind of a weird situation. We can't figure out what this problem is about. Uh, it might be a new Facebook wrinkle, but um, uh, right now, let me just check a couple other things to see if I can find you, and uh, we'll go from there. The um, notifications here. Uh, here we are. I think we may have it here. Yeah, I found it over here. You never know where I'm going to find it. So good morning, Ken. Uh, yes, I'm going to get into Veterans Day a little bit today. Uh, and, of course, I know my good buddy is a veteran, as many people are out there in the world listening to the show, watching it. Um, first thing really kind of talk about here are some local stories that um, interest me because, as you know, I've been involved in government quite a bit at all levels. Uh, and the first thing that kind of interested me uh, that I wanted to talk with you a little bit about, so you don't get misled. Um, by the press. The press, the problem with the press, as it is now, a lot of the reporter, reporters are young and they don't really know what to, how to make the story a real story. They, they kind of just started paying attention, if you will. Good morning, Doug, from, uh, from uh, Ahi, Mexico, I uh, guess, San Juan. Um, we, uh, I used to have to, inter before I got interviewed by them, sort of educate them as to what to ask me because they didn't really know how to ask the right questions to be a service to the public about uh, what was uh, going on uh, that might help the public understand. And, you know, I was a member of the University of Florida student body, of course, and I was also in, uh, involved in publications there. I was a one of the editors for two publications on the campus, uh, one of which got kicked off, and that was the Orange Peel, because we dared to imitate Playboy in those days, and we did a fold-out picture of uh, a young lady named Pam Brewer, a buxom young lady, if you might, um, very much qualified to be in our magazine. And we went up to the Florida University of Florida Stacks, which is the research area of the Library in those days it was not the Smathers Library it was just the, the big humanities room and all that which was a great library and I uh, went up there and we photographed uh, our darling co-ed 
in the old natural posed on one of the state-owned tables there. And these state-owned tables in the old library were magnificent structures made out of the heart oak, the original oak of this state, and um, you know, which is what old Sparky is made out of, the electric chair. So um, everything was virgin timber, though, and so it was plentiful. And all the wonderful tables in the upper floors of the well, all the tables really, but the upper floors, especially as I remember them, were made out of this wonderful oak. And our, our uh, pinup posed on there. And uh, uh, the president at the time, I, w- I want to say it was Stephen O'Connell, maybe I got that wrong, I think it was though, um, decided that was just awful, a display of a lack of morals and taste. And the big sin was that we had done it on University of Florida property. And we had done it as a, a University of Florida uh, publication. Um, so the Alligator was also a University of Florida publication involved with um, this type of uh, sponsorship by the university. And so um, it ended up the Orange Peel going defunct and the Alligator being kicked off campus where they thought it would die. Uh, they didn't think that the paper would survive without support financially from the university. And a private owner picked up the alligator, bought it and did quite well with it and continued it. It was the University of uh, Florida Alligator, it still is, but it's owned, has been owned for quite some time by private ownership and is off campus, although it retains its identity with the University of Florida. So my point is, I'm gonna get into this a little bit during the show. There's either been a a moral decay in our culture, which many people think there has been, and that really played into this election we're beginning to see now, this midterm election, or there's been a moral liberation, if you will. And um, uh, but meanwhile, there there continues to be a student body organization, which is a student body Senate. And uh, we worked hard when I worked with um, revising Amendment 11 and worked with the uh, people in the state of Florida who were educational leaders, and we worked with Senator Graham to put uh, into uh, um, the, bureauc- the bureaucratic structure uh, uh, an opportunity for a student uh, Senate president to be uh, a representative, a voting representative on the, as I understand it, I remember it, and I think that's the case, on the University of Florida Board of Trustees. And this person right now is named Lauren Lamasters. And um, she got crossways in the road with a minority um, component of the Senate called Change Caucus. And we know what Change Caucus is going to be about. It's going to be about a progressive left wing agenda. Uh, All the wokeism, which is going to be a theme running through today's show. So she voted in favor as a student body Senate president of the university hiring Sassy, who I think that's the way we say his name, who is now the University of Florida president. Well, you know, as I've said before, you'd be a fool not to have that type of person as president of the university right now, given the fact that the the, the state of Florida is entirely red. We're going to get into that a little bit during this show, just entirely red. I mean, it's, it's, you know, you... The only place that isn't red is Goofy, Alachua County, and a couple other places, four or five counties, maybe six at the most. I lost, I didn't really count, but I know Alachua was one of them. That's just, you know, operates as an island of madness in this whole state of Florida. So uh, the, 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 for this young lady to have voted against Sassy would not really have helped establish a rapport uh, with the president and the student body. But now this minority group, as I understand it, of the Senate is trying to impeach her. Um, uh, you can imagine where they got this model for, from impeaching Trump. Now, since this person didn't do what the minority group of the Senate, which, as I understand, it's the only one complaining, um, then they want to offer up an op- a resolution to impeach the president. Now, that resolution, as I understand, has to be passed by the full Senate, and I doubt it will be. 
but I just wanted to, to, to know, uh, for you to know that uh, really the vice president of the Senate um, also sided with the change people. And this is kind of where you are in this world. If they don't have your back and you are trying to uh, be the, and you've been voted to be the leader and the people behind you don't have your back, well, you have um, you you have a little bit of an issue that you have to deal with, and you know, ideally, for example, when um, you become a city manager, as I did, you want the commission that you're going to be the manager advisor to um, to unanimously approve of you, which I had a unanimous vote. In fact, the stipulation was I was not going to become their city manager if I had a dissenting vote. It had to be a 5-0 vote or wasn't going to take the job because you don't want to go into the job with somebody already uh, looking out, trying to catch you on something, which very shortly thereafter, of course, surfaced. Uh, We had a couple of people who thought they were the entire city and they had been running off city managers before me. They couldn't run me off. Um, And I reminded them, hey, you voted 5-0, so you need to sit down in the back of the room there and let me do what I'm supposed to do. We had a lot of tough conversations. I learned an awful lot about what it is to run a city and what a commission does and shouldn't do. Very, very wonderful opportunity. I told people it's been like going to the Harvard Business School and getting a master's at least in that because uh, you run the city as the manager. So um, the, the this whole thing over at the University of Florida, as I read through it, is um, really uh, written by young, uh, um, a young reporter who probably doesn't have a lot of experience in how resolutions work and how minority caucuses work and uh, all that business. But nevertheless, I uh, wanted you to be aware of the fact that um, in, I, I'm pretty sure that this uh, Senate president will come through with a, an endorsement uh, and would have been foolish not to vote for Sassy um, because it would have established a minority dissent on the board of trustees. If my understanding is right, that she does have a vote. And it says that in this article that she does says the impeacher for voting in favor of Senator Ben Bassey. So I'm assuming that vote was part of the board of trustees. I should remember that, but it's been years and years and years ago since we set that up. But anyway, in the article, it says vote. So she would have been foolish to not vote. And furthermore, uh, it was a unanimous vote for Sassy, which is what you want. So for her not to be unanimous vote would have labeled the student body right off the bat as entirely like a minority caucus, which it isn't. And this is one of the problems. This is why DeSantis is so popular. He understands that the minority loud person in the room isn't the uh, voice of reason. And he singles out that minority loud voice and confronts it and doesn't let it get away with uh, running the show. So that is uh, something that is a theme through much of what's going on in government right now. I wanted to give you that example. Another example of, of kind of public confusion, which I want to talk about a little more deeply than I have, um, is uh, the relationship of sheriffs to commissions. Um, The sheriffs get their money from the commissions, but they are charter officers, so they administer the way that money is used. Now, John Power is a charter officer within the tax collector's office. Uh, He uses the money as he sees the best way to use it to run the tax collector's office. Uh, the lady who runs the property appraiser's office or runs it as she sees best. You almost never hear anything going on there uh, about the commission trying to micromanage the property appraiser or micromanage the tax collector or micromanage the supervisor of elections, which they probably should do. Of all the ones that probably need some looking into, uh, that one probably does, given this history of uh, voter beep that we've been checking out. So uh, so it's always the sheriffs that seem to get uh, stir the ire of the commissioners because the commissioners in this community 
until we get fully implemented single member districts are always ideologically to the left. And ideologically to the left means you're anti-law uh, enforcement. Uh, in the extreme, you can see this in the city of Gainesville. The police department is entirely under the thumb of the Gainesville City Commission. Um, the, they appoint the, the uh, uh, chief. Uh, they've got Tony Jones sitting over there doing God knows what. Tony Jones was the chief whenever the matrix was filled out for the SWAT team to come in on the Collier's International Arrest. That has not been uh, thoroughly, that's not thoroughly finished. Trust me, that will be, uh, that's another chapter is coming in that real soon. Now, so far, by the way, on the expose of the, of the uh, voicemail, uh, we've had, last time I checked, 1.1K uh, people have heard it, and that's just on the Facebook distribution. Uh, we're distributing also over rumble.com, uh, which we highly uh, advise you, want you to go over and follow us on. And, of course, we're out on all the audio portions of the uh, Apple Podcasts and uh, and those at various areas. So it's got a huge – I'm getting stopped as I walk down the street and people coming up to me and talking to me about it. It is really – really gone out into the community. So um, the the reason you've got all that screw up at GPD, you've got Pinkston accepting money, well, let's say it's allegedly, even though we hear the deal going down on the audio, uh, from a party that's involved in the very thing that's being investigated. Um, that is a, a, is a police force, Gainesville Police Department, run by the commissioners. And um, the, the county commission does not run the sheriffs. They give them the money once the sheriffs re- make a request, a budget request, but they don't go in there like they do in the city and start micromanaging and hiring and firing the sheriff as they do the uh, um, police chiefs where they've got this Tony Jones sitting over there doing basically nothing that I can see or anybody else and getting paid six figures. Nobody talks about that waste, right? I mean, which is a blatant kind of obvious misuse, is it not? Perhaps, perhaps, of public money. So the sheriffs have always, all the way back to Lou Henry, uh, who took money from one pot and put it in another pot internally without asking the commission if he could do it uh, because he felt the money could be best used there. And from that point on, my reach search from when I've talked about going all the way back to Lou Henry has always been one of acrimony between uh, the commissions and the sheriffs. It certainly has been the case with uh, Steve Ulrich. When I was running, Steve Ulrich called me, and uh, uh, the sheriffs have always supported me uh, because they knew that I was uh, aware of how this situation was set up. Um, And i got to tell you that the most uh, blatant example of this going awry was with Sheriff Darnell. Sheriff Darnell came on this particular day with her entire staff, of, and she has her own uh, accountants and all that business, the sheriff, uh, she did, and, and came with them, and they sat in the back of the room for seven hours, as I remember it. Chestnut had put that back to the bottom of the agenda. Here's the sheriff with her entire crew, to present the budget, which the commission wasn't approving of, um, fiddling her feet with her entire staff there. When it got time for her to finally come to the agenda, she started to present her wares, and whether they and Lee stumbled and mumbled around and said, well, we've already made up our mind about this. And she says, well, have you made up your mind? I don't remember a public vote being taken on this. And he stumbled and bumbled around and said, well, we've already decided. And that's when uh, Sue Baird called me and said, you got to hear the story behind this. And that's when we discovered that there were meetings before the meetings. Now, these meetings were, in the opinion of many legal people, violations of the sunshine. But in the end, they were interpreted to be 
legal in the very narrowest sense of the word because they'd been noticed and they'd been recorded and minutes had been taken. If I went and looked at the minutes, they were very, very minimal, practically nothing in them. But I listened also to the tapes of the meetings, and those tapes were recorded by the clerk of the court. And the clerk of the court is the one who records all these things. Now, in there, we heard them, the commissioners, Byerly and Chestnut and Delaney. I've forgotten who the other was at the time. Uh, This is Mama Chestnut, not Chuck. Um, make up their mind to deny the sheriff's budget request. The sheriffs wanted the budget money. All Sheriff Darnell wanted it changed because it was some, and, and rather than do it internally, she was going to come and ask them, you know, we need to put more over here. And they weren't going to hear it. I mean, my point is these sheriffs really almost can't please these commissioners because there's five of them. And each one of them has a political agenda and likes to grandstand and look important. It's almost always the case. And this ended up being a situation that embarrassed the sheriff, um, that was destructive to the relationship between the sheriff and the commission. And the sheriff was able, as always is able, to go as a last resort to the governor, and the governor can straighten it out. They don't like sheriffs don't like to do that. I mean, that's another step, and and you know, it's just it's just a, and in this particular case, it would be awkward. Because we have a Democrat sheriff, we have a Republican governor, legislature, uh, everything, and coming from Alachua County. And the state tends to just dismiss Alachua County as just a kind of a collection of Looney Tunes. And the fact that Keith Perry and Chuck Clemens could get this uh, single member district things out on the ballot, in fact, that he could get that they could get the state legislature to care is amazing. It's just absolutely amazing because generally when you go to the state legislature with a special request from Alachua County, the state legislature says, we don't want to hear it. They're all crazy down there. Uh, We've got other things to do that are more important. But this time they put the single members, they listened. And this is a very, believe me, very unique. Well, you can't have, you can't modify unique with any kind of that. Unique is unique is unique. You understand that, right? Something can't be very Unique, something can't be more unique, less unique. Unique is unique. It's just like a point. You can't narrow a point. A point is a point is a point. You may make another point smaller in diameter than that point or larger, but that's another point. You do not narrow a point. But I'm paying attention to language as only somebody with sense would pay attention to it. So uh, this situation that you read about, now this Javon Harris uh, this lad doesn't fully understand. I can tell by reading through the article. He would do much better, I think. And I'm not defending or accusing the current sheriff. I'm not getting involved with that at all. Uh, if the current sheriff wants to straighten it out through the Ward Scott Files, he can contact the Ward Scott Files, and I'll be glad to uh, air his side of the story. But what tends to happen in these deals is um, it just worsens the situation because then uh, the commission gets an attitude and uh, the commission already has an attitude about the Ward Scott files. So particularly since we help get single member districts passed. So uh, you're liable to not hear any comments. But but the point is here um, that uh, Watson was always going to distribute the money. And it had to be done according to a particular stages. And it had to be done somewhere other than in the newspaper. So he has the conversation with the commission. Uh, the newspaper is a newspaper, and usually it gets it wrong. And all responding in the newspaper generally does is make matters worse rather than better. So the newspaper in this article by Harris has really tried to make itself the story. I want to read a line to you that is very misleading. Uh, it says that Watson, who first only dished out 2.5% to a 4% increase, by a step plan, da 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 da, a claim that he had always intended to give the full amount to his employees. Claimed is a loaded verb, and then Harris writes, but only said so after an article published by the Gainesville Sun. If the Gainesville Sun had never published an article about this controversy about when to give the money, not whether the money was going to be given, but when, 
it would not have, if the Gainesville Sun had never written it, it would have changed a single thing. The process would have gone on exactly as it went down. The Gainesville Sun had absolutely nothing to do with it. Absolutely nothing to do with it. But the Gainesville Sun, Harris, and this is why we call it the Gainesville Sunset. It's about out of business. It should be out of business. Um, but only said so after an art. No, 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 no. Now, don't make yourself out to be the hero, Harris. You see, this is a young man trying to make a reputation for himself, and I, I think, and trying to say, you know, when you're doing investigative reporting, you have to be very careful about what you take credit for. And it's really never you, it's your research team. With me, people have asked, dozens of people ask me how I got the voicemail of Doughton and, and, uh, uh, talking to Pinkston. That's none of their business. That's none of their business, period. I'm not doing that for that reason. I'm doing it so you get the truth about the situation. You know, that's it. We put it on the Ward's God files because you couldn't give it to 20. They wouldn't use it. You couldn't give it to the newspaper. They wouldn't use it. Jennifer Cabara did a great article on it. So you have to watch these characters, you know, and Harris has done something here that is not true. And once you see as a sheriff or as a city manager, or once you see that the press is setting you up, then you try to stay away from the press. Unless you are artful dodger, as Obama is, and you learn how to give the press. See, Obama understood something, and it's true. He understood that the press is dumb. So what he decided to do quite intelligently was tell the press what they needed to know in order to write a good story for him. And you got to hand it to him. That is, that's good. And he did it. He controlled the narrative and still controls the narrative to this day that you see in the press. That's all controlled by Obama establishing a long time ago, working under the premise that the press doesn't know what it's doing, but you can make them look as if they do, and they give them give them credit. That's the art of this. And he learned it. But, you know, you have so much musical chairs at the sun set that you don't know who is running the show down there anymore. And and um, so you have to be very careful about what you read there. But that is a very convenient, misleading statement. The other, the other thing that is the worst thing you can have going on in a business model or an educational model. Let's just take education with which I'm familiar. Let's say of uh, that in um, my classroom, I have a high standard for uh, correctness using language. And my standard is much higher than anybody else's in the department. So what that, and it was, this is what I'm telling you is basically true. So what happens is somebody who can't live up that standard has one of two choices. Either take another teacher or go complain to the, the chair, who would be my immediate supervisor. Now, if I have a good chair, every once in a while you'd have a good one. More often you have a bad one because the bad one's trying to you know, stay in, in influence. If it's a bad chair, that disgruntled student who shouldn't have been in there in the first place, who can't live up to the standards in the first place, and goes to a chair and gets a sympathetic ear, and the chair calls you in and says, hey, you've got Mary Jane over here complaining. Well, that's not good. Because if you tell the chair Mary Jane is a malcontent and can't handle the standards, and the chair sides with Mary Jane and says to you, your standards are too difficult, then you got a problem. Houston, you got a problem. You have got a problem. It's called the end run. The, the malcontent student learns. These students learn this quicker than anything else. 
where the soft spot is in the chain of command. They learn that. They learn it quicker than cattle learn whether the fence will hold them in or not. I mean, they instantly learn that. And then they wear that chair down, constantly bombard until the chair wrong, wrongly goes after the instructor. When you have a good chair, the chair says to the malcontent, Mary Jane, you have two choices. Either adapt to uh, Mr. Scott's standards or the way he's presenting them as sound. They're good standards. Uh, you're being evaluated fairly or transfer to another class. Which would you like to do? That's a good chair. My analogy here is the Board of County Commissioners are not good chairs to sheriffs, not just this sheriff. The Board of County, and certainly in GPD, the, 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 the city commissioners have got GPD beat down to, a, to the ground. That's why you're seeing so much ineffective policing going on in GPD, because they can't do anything without looking over their shoulder at the communist uh, commissioner, Senko, whatever her name is, who hates law enforcement. Uh, there ought to be an age qualification for her to even be on the commission. Um, you know, so then, then, then in the county, the sheriffs are elected by the public. So the, the, if the public doesn't like the sheriff's job, then they deal with it, not the commission. And this frustrates the commission. Because you see, the commission is historically left in Alachua County. The job of the sheriffs has been, therefore, and Barnell had her way of doing it. She had a pink patrol or something. I used to hear more complaints about Darnell from the rank and file patrol guys than I ever hear about the current sheriff. And yet you'd think the current sheriff's in hot water all the time. Well, you go back and check all the bad ink that Darnell got. So my point is, this disgruntled employee knew which commissioner to go to, went to Mary Helen Wheeler. And by the way, Watson defeated Mary Helen Wheeler for the state representative job if my, serve, if my memory serves me right. So, you know, the, the, this is, and I guarantee, I guarantee you, now, Wheeler is, I know the lady, nice lady, but, you know, that's, 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 where, that's where it stops, you know. Um, so when you have people doing in runs in any kind of uh, administrative order, um, you, you, have, you have to uh, uh, understand that that's not the way. And when you have something outside influence like, the Alachua County Labor Coalition, God forbid, that group is uh, nothing will ever satisfy them until the entire world is communist, uh, and, until, and until the unions run everything, and anybody who dissents in the union doesn't get a job. It's the most closed shop uh, thing in the world. Uh, by the way, these unions do not speak for the entire uh, uh, faculty at Florida, nor do they speak for the entire Police for uh, 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 police force at, or deputy force at, at uh, Alachua County. Um, as I think the last time I checked, the union only represents about eighteen percent of the faculty at Florida, and yet for them to talk as if they represented everybody. And when I was the Senate president at uh, Santa Fe, for uh, the outside influences that were uh, didn't know the way. Our, our Senate worked, kept telling our presidents that I was trying to form a union. We didn't want a union. Here's why we didn't want a union. Why serve two bosses? Why have two bosses telling you what to do? If you don't have a union, then you got the president telling you what to do. And you answer to one person who he answers to the board. Now, if you got a union, you got two people to answer to, God forbid. And they can hold up more things than they help. So this is how it works. And then to have a local activist pile on this conversation, well, that delegitimizes the entire conversation right away. So um, the, the only thing you can do in these situations is keep coming to work and keep doing your job and keep 
making all see the purpose for these sheriffs going out here and not talking to the uh, newspapers is to put it on public record. If you have a conversation with the commission, it is a public record. You can get that. You can even go see this on, on, on the website of Alachua County. You can go see this entire conversation. I'm sure it's all recorded. So you can draw your own conclusions about it. So I wanted to talk a little bit today before we take a break here at the bottom of the hour about uh, what you can trust in a newspaper and what you can't trust in a newspaper. And most people don't know what they don't know. Therefore, they can't make an evaluation whether what they're reading in a newspaper is completely accurate, completely inaccurate, or partly accurate. It's a tough job, and I do my best at keeping you informed. And so my point here is that these two stories are not accurately written. The one about the University of Florida student body Senate president and the one about the uh, Alachua County current sheriff. Right back on the Word Scott Files in just a moment. Stay tuned. Although the owner of Lewis Oil Company maintains she is 29, Lewis Oil turns 60 years old in June. Chevron would like to recognize the North Florida second-generation family-owned business, celebrating its growth and staying power. Lewis Oil Company maintains significant on-hand supplies, strategically located fuel depots, a delivery fleet, on-site service, fuel card locks, and convenience stores. Lewis Oil Company understands its responsibility in the local economy by providing service and delivery on demand and in crisis. As a first responder for 18 Florida counties and the southeast from Texas to Virginia, we are proud of this rare accomplishment. Lewis Oil delivers. This is Ward Scott, and I want to thank all our sponsors who keep the show going and pay the bills. The Ward Scott Files premium sponsors are Crime Prevention Security Systems, large enough to serve you, small enough to care. Melvin Law, the only official injury partner of the Florida Gators. The Ward Scott Files Gold sponsors are Lewis Oil Company, Shoot GTR, On the Spot Dry Cleaners, RR Construction, and Style Cuts. If you are interested in promoting your business on the show, you can visit our website, www.wardscottfiles.com and click on the Advertise Here banner on the right side of the page or call my friend Freddie at 352-284-3733. Again, thank you to all the great businesses that support the Word Scott Files. And remember, if you like the show, thank our sponsors and support the businesses that support us. What you just said is one of the most insanely idiotic things I have ever heard. Everyone in this room is now dumber for having listened to it. May God have mercy on your soul. Or that very much surprises me that you've never been tased. You can't handle the truth! All these poop. Warthog. He's gonna come up the steps. Here he comes. Oh my goodness, and he's huge. Hello, boy. I wonder if we can pet him. Hi, boy. Can we touch him? No, don't. Help me! Help! Help! Now for the weather brought to you by Lewis Oil. Welcome back to Ward Scott Files, and uh, we are here. I apologize for my squeaky chair. I was telling production during a break that I have turned the thing upside down and put all kinds of stuff on it. It still squeaks. So I'm going to have to take it out of the shop and take it apart and really look at it and see why it's doing it. Expensive chair, man. These chairs are not cheap. You know, you sit in nowadays like I do. Uh, so you want to sit in too long, by the way. You've got to get them walk around. Hey, here's the weather. Let's face it. I just uh, mentioned at the top of the hour that we here at the uh, Manly Command Center ran on a generator for 16 hours. Haven't done that in a long time. Um, the longest we ever were without power here was years and years ago. We went 16 days without power. And I can't even remember now the name of that storm, but it was a brutal one. Um, now we went, um, you know, overnight and into the next morning and obviously all yesterday afternoon. So it's um, 
Not as bad here, though, and this is the worst place, evidently. This is part of my weather report in the state of Florida, and that's Wilbur-by-the-Sea. Wilbur-by-the-Sea is in Volusia County, and the, the thing about it is no condos or hotels, all beachfront homes there on the beach side of A1A. Now, I got it. I don't know. You know the Bible. Don't build your house on sand. Build it on rock. And yet some genius let these people build, quote unquote, beachfront homes on a sand dune, for God's sakes. And let's, let's leave global warming out of it. Although in this article I'm reading off the A&P, some climate scientist managed to blame uh, Nicole on climate change. Who You know, there's always one in the room, right? Um, but here's the deal. Um, this thing has washed. I always say washed. And they, my wife says, you should say washed. I say washed. Um, all these houses into the into the water, and, and uh, people are wondering why. Why were you ever allowed to build there in the first place? So now they're saying that the structural damage is unprecedented. Of course, it's unprecedented. Building like that is unprecedented. Why would you, I wouldn't live out there on a sand dune? Um, the the winds of Nicole there, ironically, even were minimal. Uh, they didn't do a lot of damage. Um, the storm surge was what was destructive. And sure enough, Princeton University climate scientist Michael Oppenheimer said, and he's obviously woke, is that this is because the seas are rising as the planet's ice melts. No, basically what happened is you had the moon in full and you had the tide coming in and you had pretty much regular stuff going on. The only thing that you had going on was the crazy code enforcement policies or whatever that allowed these people to build there. It had nothing to do with uh, Michael Oppenheimer in its immediate cause. Its immediate proximate cause is that they shouldn't have built there in the first place. Now, over on the West Coast, what we've done after the no-name storm as we've said, you must build up. And I've forgotten the height, but you can't build flat on the, yes, plantation mark, the earth is sinking. Yeah, that's one explanation. Um, you must build up on the West Coast. And you can't have your septic tanks uh, underneath the water, uh, land level. You've got to build them up. So it seems as if there's more sense, perhaps, on the West uh, Coast than there is on the East uh, so the uh, uh, Oppenheimer is quoted in this A&P article. Once again, why would a, why would A&P bring up a Princeton uh, woke uh, climate change science? I mean, to talk about something they should have gone. This is what always irks me about these articles. They should have gone to the Volusia County uh, commissioners and asked why in the world did you ever permit you know, it's crazy. I mean, I mean, here for, well, I know why money, that's why money, you know, and, and here they're all bent out of shape. They want affordable housing crammed in a single, but you know, you have to watch these people. Uh, they, they, they are, they're not playing, if you will, with a full deck. Now we've got 71 degrees here at um, the command center right now. We have probably got past what we're going to get past. We're around running on public power from the co-op here that runs the rural areas. So um, there you are. That's the story of the weather. Why were they ever allowed to build there in the first place? The Today is Veterans Day, and I want to do a little story that has been brought to my attention uh, by veterans who are very frustrated. You know, I'm, a, I'm an advocate of my uh, practicing safely uh, with your uh, weapons. Um, uh, you know, it, um, uh, uh, if you have a concealed permit, practice with it, know what to do with it. So I practice quite a bit of G shoot GTR, which one of our is one of our sponsors. Great guys, very safe. Um, go out there and tell them I sent you. Join the place. Take your 
uh, practice, take your permitting, get your permits there. And, and, uh, the guys I shoot with are all experienced military guys for the most part. And what bothers them is the condition of the military now. And I've been listening to this complaint for quite some time. And in, 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 in Primus, which is a publication of, of uh, Hillsdale College, has an article by a, uh, a general uh, who was at the uh, uh, very influential in the Army. Um, he uh, is, uh, uh, was in the command of the Army's Chemical, Biological, Radiological, Nuclear School. He, he was with the 82nd Airborne, 1st Armored Division. Um, he's been around. He's been in Iraq. And he has written uh, an analysis of what's going on in the military right now. I'm just going to run it by a little bit here because our military now, from what all the military guys tell me, is not what it you might think it is. Um, uh, there was a Marine Corps study, for example, that this general uh, cites uh, that included uh, concluded that gender integrated combat force formations do not move as quickly or shoot as accurately and that women were twice as likely as men to suffer combat injuries. Um, this is a Marine Corps analysis. Now, whether that Marine Corps analysis has any influence politically uh, is one of the frustrations. Um, the gender neutral standards that ensure that female service members can meet the demanding rigors and qualifying for combat have been all but eliminated. There's now no test to determine whether any soldier can meet the fitness requirements for combat specialties. Uh, I read uh, what some of this, uh, um, these standards were, and I got to tell you, um, there's not much to them. Um, even uh, there is a, uh, uh, a now gender uh, dysphoria uh, in the military from transgender individuals. Um, we have to pay for these gender transformations, if you will. And um, Biden signed an executive order as soon as he got in office that opened military service to all transgender individuals. And then the administration, Biden's administration, decreed that active members of the military can take time off from their duties to obtain sex change surgeries and all related hormones and drugs at taxpayer expense. I, I mean, I don't know. I don't know. I'm looking here, um, uh, you know, any of my guys who are, uh, um, and we got, I got a good buddy here who was an airborne medic. He, he recognizes the military has gone woke. Um, the political intrusion, the political ideology, I just talked about it, permeating practically everything. It's infected the minds of these young reporters when they try to do a story. It's obviously... Uh, infected the minds of these commissioners and uh, in these various municipal governments. And it's now entrenched, I would say entrenched, embedded in our military and has become a kind of uh, criterion that is fully legitimate and absolutely supported. So physical fitness is um, now kind of uh, gone by the wayside more interestingly, from my point of view, is the change in language. A corpsman uh, uh, is no longer uh, a title of the Navy sailors can use. It's now a gender neutral title, such as a medical technician. So now if you are uh, a medic, uh, you are a medical uh, technician. That's gender neutral. Um, also, the Navy, according to the article here by the general, has released a training video to help sailors understand the proper way of using the personal pronouns. Um, I had a, a uh, female um, sailor, U.S. Navy, in my class one time, very bright lady, um, who was obviously a very competent student, you know, a student who was on one of the uh, ships and, uh, you know, was a female sailor. 
And I, she told me that when the seals were on that ship, I said, well, how'd you, how'd you relate to that? Here you've got the quintessential manhood, if you will, of the Navy. Uh, she said, we stayed completely away from them. We didn't get anywhere near those guys. Those guys are the creme de creme. And we didn't even pretend to think that we could uh, handle the standards that they handle. So now, though, the Navy, Navy is having training videos. Makes you wonder if the SEALs have to go through it also. I, I'm going to I have a Navy SEAL as a buddy. Uh, and I won't maybe he's out now, uh, of course, service. But uh, he and I are, are good buddies. Um, I'm going to ask him if he knows, and I'll be having lunch today with some of the military guys to see if this pronoun thing is just really uh, swept even into the the, uh, language of the Navy SEALs. But it's all about, according to the general, the emphasis on wokeness. And the wokeness, people keep, some people ask me, what is wokeness? Wokeness is based on the, uh, uh, wokeness is based on the idea Belief, really, it's not just an idea that America is fatally flawed by systemic racism and white privilege. That's what wokeness is about. So when you see uh, the change uh, caucus in the University of Florida Student Senate complaining about the vote the Senate president did in approving the Republican president, uh, senator for president of Florida, what they're really complaining about is that you don't understand that we are, as an America, fatally, not flawed, but fatally flawed by systemic racism and white privilege. That stance against that is what has built the reputation of DeSantis. DeSantis has taken on wokeness, head up, face up, straight on. And by golly, he's not backing down and he's not disguising what he's doing. He's not calling it by a different name. He's just come out and said, that ain't going to happen under my watch. And you see what happened. He swept, swept the vote of the, of the state of Florida. So even capitalism, according to these woke people, is essentially racist. And to be anti-racist, and this is where people say, well, how does this have to do with communism? Well, See, the woke people take the position that capitalism is racist because it exploits. Obama started it. You didn't build that. And you don't have a need to make more $200,000 a year. Then you're exploiting. You're ripping somebody else off. You know, uh, you know, it's it's it, that started into our policies with Obama. So he was supposed to be the great unifier. He has proven to be the great divider. So capitalism is essentially racist, and that to be truly anti-racist, you have to be, of course, anti-capitalistic. Well, if you're anti-capitalistic, what in the world does that leave? It leaves socialism or communism. Uh, West Point has lectures titled Understanding Whiteness and White Rage. At West Point! Huh? The Air Force has created at least eight barrier analysis working groups. And the reason they've done it is to quote, according to the general in the article here, to create an inclusive culture, regardless of race, ethnicity, sex orientation, religion, or disabilities. Now, these groups are named, and they include Eight groups, okay? Here they are. Indigenous Nations Equality Team. The Lesbian, Gay, Bisexual, Transgender, Queer, or Questioning Initiatives Team. Hey, it goes on and on. And furthermore, wokeness has has conflated the mission of the military with environmental ideology. Recently, Biden told uh, the Joint Chiefs of Staff and the American Air Force Airmen that the greatest threat facing America was from global warming. 
let me get that straight. Don't tell the military that the greatest threat to America is global warming. You have to wonder about these people. You really do. So I hate to bring that up um, on Veterans Day, but Veterans Day was not the veteran that my father was. All through the Pacific Theater, wounded more than one time, never came home until it was over, scheduled for the landing in Japan just before the bomb was dropped. Um, I, you know, I don't want to, you've heard me say it. I've, I've said it before. So um, I don't, you know where we go from here. I, I, I don't know. So that's Veterans Day as I see it right now. The veterans we're talking about are the guys who, and by the way, on winning wars, we haven't really tried to win a war. I'm talking about win a war since World War II. We haven't tried to win. We've tried to reach some sort of equilibrium. Now we have a North and South Korea. And you've heard Representative Ted Yoho talk about what's now in Vietnam. Vietnam, ironically, strangely, curiously, is very pro-American. Imitates America in its capitalistic values. So history sort of, I guess, sorts of stuff out as long as it gets treated fairly by the media. Um, so unfortunately that's my treatment of the Veterans Day discussion today there's been a lot of discussion uh, about uh, winners and losers and I was going to go into that a little bit more but I don't have real time to go into that today we'll do that as it becomes clearer over the weekend but I do want to talk about how these values that we just talked about in the military um have manifested themselves in the church. Okay? You may know this, you may not know it, and it's particularly in the Methodist church um, that I'm aware of, was all, all it's in many, many, it's in Catholic church too. And that is the, the, the sexual revolution, quote unquote, if that's what you want to call it, is splitting the church. In this case, let's focus on the Methodist church which is increasingly in the middle of cultural and moral controversies. And the denominations have become fragmented over issues of sexuality. And many congregations have left to join something called the Global Methodist Church, which is a new denomination founded in 2022 as a conservative alternative to the increasingly liberal wing, if you will, or side of the Methodist church. Uh, the Catholic church too is being torn apart. Uh, the synodal path uh, it, uh, in Germany is ongoing. A national consultation of bishops and is uh, pressed for progressive changes in doctrine and discipline. Um, whereas you have the traditional Catholics, they distrust um, the current Pope. The current Pope is seen, and I know many Catholics who are completely out of sorts with the current Pope, think that he's a socialist, that he has got politicized his church in a way that does not stand firmly on church principles, age-old church teachings. Um, religious schools, we just talked about the military. Um, the University of Notre Dame, we showed a pride uh, label on a GPD copy of the day. Um, they had a coming out day celebration. Uh, it was an undergraduate LGBTQ undergraduate student organization. And um, it was um, heresy practically because the students uh, schools student newspaper, uh, the Irish Rover uh, reported that a faculty member was openly offering support to students seeking abortions uh, this is really going through these churches and creating a huge conflict and civil war in them. So it's not that we haven't had these type of arguments in churches before. 
but this is a debate uh, uh, that has taken on a particular type of, 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 of um, uh, tone and emphasis, which we'll pursue a little bit more deeply when we have time. Hope you have a great weekend and uh, the storm is gone. So uh, Warthog Command Center out.